Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Hi. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. You're here with myself and B, and today we have a very practical topic, and I feel like everyone is going to appreciate this. We're talking about hemorrhoids. Bum Bum grapes. Bum grapes, bum veins, bum mulberries. Yeah, mulberries. Yeah, I experimented with many different fruits when I made a reel recently. People and need to go yeah. and watch this reel. So B, B did an Instagram reel about treatment of hemorrhoids, and we'll tell you what the treatment is later when we get to that part. But it involved a felt vulva pinned to her forehead um, and her lips were the anus, which was grasping at a grape, which was representative of the hemorrhoid in question and then tried mulberries but it didn't it didn't work as well yeah i, I mean i hope we mulberries feel more like it what it looks like sometimes but no the great the great, great dinner justice yeah so i mean i'm not going to give any more information on that except you know that has wet your appetite to go to b's instagram page and just indulge in that video there was a lot of confusion about how the anatomy all worked because this was a, a shared experience between yourself and your husband. And, it, I mean, it, it came across, I think I may have commented at the time, uh, you've gone too far, B. This is this is never go too far when it comes to education because how many people then just felt a little less alone with their great With great bums. That's so, what education's all about. My husband and I had many conversations on how it needed to be done because he was my legs around the vulva yeah and um yeah there was one point where he was like you're gonna need a bigger vulva (laughs) vulva was good and your hair was the pubic hair and Mm. yeah which he placed beautifully he was like he was very he, he could be a professional pubic hair placer I feel yeah it was super like and we're all looking at it going what are we looking at here are they and I think were your arms his legs no no his legs were my legs and my arms you couldn't see because I was holding the camera so wait were you I mean I was laying on his my head was on his penis in like on his crutch and then my head with a vulva on top of it replaced his crutch. His crutch, yeah. But where was your crutch? That's what I am wondering. Further down, still attached. Like no, I was laying. But... We were laying like we were laying down on a couch. Oh, I'm imagining a '69 type scenario, not the other way around. Oh, Mel, it's um, nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> for us, but. No, I was thought maybe because your face was in his crotch that maybe you'd come at it from like you were like literally lying on top of him. But no, you were lying in front of him. Right. Okay. And this is where my husband really adds value to our relationship yeah. um, with geometry and <laughs> physics. 
and because uh, I wanted to film it with him standing up and my head between his legs somehow, like maybe perhaps kneeling, um, and with the camera on the floor. And that didn't work. And uh, and if it wasn't for him, that reel wouldn't have been made because I had no other ideas. He was like, no, not that way. Let's do it this way. Okay. So we're a good team, him and I. We're an amazing team. <laughs> Just scroll, do the legwork yourself. Go to B's Instagram at Core and Floor Restore and enjoy the reel. And then scroll and enjoy the reel on hemorrhoids. So that's what we're talking about today, hemorrhoids, particularly because this is the Great Birth Rebellion, particularly in pregnancy and the postpartum period. Our focus is also not on those pathological hemorrhoids that might actually need medical intervention like surgeries and things. Occasionally things can get serious like that and you might actually need to engage the care of a doctor for your hemorrhoids, but the majority of the time... Self-help stuff is going to work for hemorrhoids. So it's within your power today to start making changes for your bum that will improve the hemorrhoid situation. Right, hemorrhoids. So what are hemorrhoids and what causes them? So, um, B, did you ever get told at school, don't sit on the cold ground, you'll get piles? I don't think I'd got told that at school. I think my nunna would have said that. Somebody, like your friend. My Maltese nunna. Yeah, not your friend. Yeah, yeah. the older generation. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't swim. after. You have to wait half an hour after you eat to swim. In the same category kind of. of, of yeah. Yeah. And Well, some people right now have gone, hang on, wait, what? Pause, rewind that. What did she just say? Because I spoke about this in my stories once and I had like hundreds of people be like, I feel like my life's a lie. What do you mean I don't have to wait half an hour half an hour to swim? Yeah. And then it was a whole big saga. So, no, you don't have to wait half an hour after you eat or two hours or whatever the rule was when you were a kid to yeah. swim. And also you, you won't get. So people sometimes call hemorrhoids piles. I don't know why, but you won't get hemorrhoids by sitting on a cold ground. So hemorrhoids. They're little piles, I guess. They're little like, they're like, you know what they remind me of? You know when you go to the beach and you make those drip castles? Yeah, out of sand and water. You squeeze it out of your hand. Yeah, because sometimes they can be quite like plop, 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 plop. Yeah. It's like how they come out. And if you've watched them um, occur at birth, that's exactly what they often look like they're doing, just like accumulating. Mm, yeah, so there you go. That's the scientific term. Blop, blop, blop is what they look like. I hope that came through on the sound. Right, hemorrhoids. So what are they? If you, if you imagine them like rectal varicose veins, so it's like a varicose vein, but in your, oh, my gosh, I just channeled one of my lecturers from university. As I said, varicose vein I need to tell this story sorry guys I've hijacked the hemorrhoids episode um I was a naturopath before I was a midwife and so I studied naturopathy for four years before I studied midwifery and we had a lecturer that was a GP from I can't remember which country but he had a strong accent and he couldn't say V and so we were learning about varicose veins but actually we learned about varicose veins and it was the best class ever. And every time now I say varicose veins, I say varicose wines. 
So and everyone else now is listening to this is going to do the same thing. What a beautiful flow on effect of oxytocin. Right. I just such a great lecturer and he just I loved his accent and I love Wadigus wines. So hemorrhoids are like rectal varicous veins or Wadigus okay, veins. But what happens if they don't know what varicous veins are? Yeah. You're gonna varicous, explain that? Yes, I'm gonna explain that. So okay. so varicous veins are basically a breakdown in the normal structure of a vein. So a vein should have like a tubular structure, pretty solid. And it's sort of a smooth, continuous wall, but it has these little gates and valves in the vein, which stops blood from basically pooling in a vein. So every time your heart beats, these little gates open, let some blood through, and then they close again. So you've got these little compartments of blood that travel up through your veins to ensure that the flow is good and that basically blood doesn't pool in your veins in anyone's spot. So hemorrhoids occur where the structure of the vein is interrupted and I guess a kind of a blowout of a vein. Um, so where oh, the... Hang on. Yeah. Sorry, keep going and then I need to tell a story. Okay. Blowout of a vein. So they're a blowout of a vein. It's like a blowout. And what happens then is the structure of the veins changes and therefore the the little gates or valves that supposed to open up and close actually get distorted and they don't work as well and so blood can pull in that distorted spot if you imagine like if you had a have a balloon and you know when you if it's not fully inflated and you squeeze it you can displace the air and um oh yeah I feel like that's kind of what happens with hemorrhoids but yes tell me a story B about blowouts okay there is a doctor that when I first met him, GP obstetrician, when I first met him and worked with him, I was like, your language is really inappropriate. And I pulled him up on it. And when I first started working with him, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to work with this person. Anyway, he ended up being incredible and our biggest advocate and he supported my home birth. Right? So I just want to kind of give that little um, foundation here first. I think sometimes these comments um were socially not really acceptable but if you understood his personality and had a relationship with him which most people did because it was a small country town you, you understood him so it was very much like okay that's just what he's like anyway my girlfriend I know she's not gonna she's gonna love that this has made the podcast his story uh so I went to see our doctor and uh I thought I had a hemorrhoid and he pulled back the sheet and he goes, Arr, there she blows. What? Like like a hemorrhoid? Like did is that what he could see? <laughs> like I've known people listening to this being like totally inappropriate, not okay. But it, it it's just him and he obviously gauged that in that situation it was okay. So that to her and she was fine with it. So I just want to lay down that it was all okay for everybody and it's become the best story ever because, arr, there she blows. So when in you reference, said blowout, yeah. in reference to seeing a hemorrhoid on her anus as he lifted back the sheet, <laughs> and I was in so much shock as as the person as a person who deeply cares about language and 
relationships between doctor and person. I was like, no, no, he didn't say that. No. And now it's just become this hilarious story that any time, like it's actually had a beautiful flow on effect, like Warwick Swains, right? And like, you know, we can, I feel like sometimes we're, I feel like this world has gotten so serious and we've really lost a lot of joy and laughter and it was appropriate. So I just want to say it was okay. She was fine with it. But now when you said blowout, all I could think was him going, there she blows. And to the pirate accent, which is just. I feel like that could have been his way of dealing with potentially an uncomfortable nervous situation. Like that sounds like. And nervous quirk. Oh, totally. Oh, yes. His language is definitely, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, a lot of it, yeah, we have, you know, a lot of people do like laugh in situations that aren't actually, it's just the nervous system trying to regulate. Um, But, yeah, totally for him that's, uh, I think, what's going on. But, uh, yeah, there she blows. So just want to bring some humour into what, is really like if we get down to the grapes and mulberries of it all, it's just incredibly uncomfortable and annoying. And so that's what we want to talk about today. How do we like potentially prevent this and not have to put up with it? So hopefully you're listening to this as a prevention, but I'm going to go ahead and say that I think most of you listening to this will, uh, I would say 99% of you. have got them and you're coming here for some hope so hopefully we've filled you with a bit of laughter first maybe not maybe it's been really triggering if it has big love um but but giggling can help us really move through that um uh there I love that we've got so many stories I know about about bum veins and I think to the other people who will be here are probably midwives who've got clients who have hemorrhoids or birth workers who are trying to help women get management strategy because I don't think midwives are great at giving advice about hemorrhoids we don't learn anything about this stuff we just don't hemorrhoids varicose veins like and it's all just oh well you're pregnant just it'll go away once you're postpartum or it'll get better there's no real concrete ah this is what you can do or this is how we prevent it or yeah that really sucks but you have options or it's just missed out of our learning and then we're just constantly scrambling yeah totally and and the other thing is I actually think that some women don't realize they have hemorrhoids that they've got some symptoms but don't actually connect it to hemorrhoids so you all might learn a little something about your body because let's run through the symptoms of what hemorrhoids can cause also they don't look like bloody varicose vein protrusions like you would see on legs necessarily they've kind of got a fleshy a fleshy shell uh, so they might still look like anal skin but beneath that is the the vein issue that's going on as the hemorrhoid yeah they can also be internal yes so they can be inside the rectum so you won't see anything on your external genitalia or on your anus but you will see it you will feel it internally so and that's where people actually often don't know that they've got one, but it's inside um, in the rectum. And those internal ones can feel like you've constantly got to try and do, like have a poo there. Like you think, oh, I feel like I need to do a poo. You go to do a poo, there is no poo. And it's because there's a hemorrhoid in there giving the sensation of some kind of fullness. So that could be one symptom is uh, this feeling like you need to go to the toilet and do a poo, but then you go and there's nothing there. 
The other signs could be uh, bleeding after you poo and particularly the internal ones. If you are bleeding regularly from your bottom though and can't see anything, I would suggest getting a diagnosis on that. It could be something other than a hemorrhoid. Yeah, blood through the anus is always something to discuss with a care provider. Correct. Yeah, so yes. You, you, so you might see them or feel them protruding, like something's in your bum hole that shouldn't be. It can be painful. Um, itching is another really common. So even if you just have an itchy bum hole, itchy anus, uh, swelling, bleeding, sore after doing a poo, or if you've had a very busy day of lifting, standing, moving. Yeah, that's most symptoms, but yeah, also that you can feel them. So it's more common in pregnancy because if you think about this whole blowout idea and the varicose veins and the pressure on your veins in your anus and in your pelvis, uh, you've got a big baby in there and also all of your anatomy is moving and changing. And so that just the additional pressure can create hemorrhoids, but Pregnancy is also maintained by a hormone called progesterone. And progesterone has a vasodilating effect of blood vessels. So already the the blood vessels in your pelvis and in your vulva and most of your body under the impact of progesterone have sort of come a bit more relaxed. And so this vasodilation can exacerbate the situation if you've got pressure, if you're predisposed to hemorrhoids, if you've got a history of hemorrhoids, and then you get pregnant. With all the progesterone that's going on, that could initiate a blowout, a hemorrhoid. And the other thing that happens with progesterone is it slows down your digestion and the motility of your bowel, which can cause constipation. And so if you pair the all the pressure, downward pressure, the vasodilation and the possible constipation, and when women are straining to do a poo and like doing that real valve salva and actually holding their breath and trying to push a poo out, then that's extra pressure. And if your pelvic floor is not what it should be as well, all these things combining can create a situation that opens you up to a hemorrhage. So it's kind of the, a lot of physiological factors that could provoke a hemorrhage in pregnancy. Yeah, and look, I feel like those reasons are always given and I feel like what we're starting to understand more now is really as human beings, we're not what we once were Mm -hmm. due to modernity. We're really devolving. Um, Sad sad fact, but I feel like progesterone, poor progesterone um, and, and the pelvic floor often get blamed for things when um especially the pelvic floor is often the victim of what else is going on in the body and so now what we're starting to understand more is that we are um quite out of alignment from very early on so we don't move the way we're instinctively meant to move we don't poo the way we're meant to poo we don't basically we don't use our bodies the way we're meant to and that has that has huge consequences on the function of the body because the body is no longer in its correct order and so like the gastrointestinal tract isn't sitting where it's meant to so it's not going to work as well as well western toilets wreak havoc on our pelvic floors and our whole bodies the fact that we think we have to actively push our poos out 
same as we think we have to actively push our babies out. It really kind of, I guess, demonstrates why we're in this issue in the first place because we can passively push our poo out and we can passively push our babies out. Needing to actively push is often a reflection on all the things that have led up before that poo. It's the change in our poo posture that we've done. So by introducing Western toilets and a lot of restrictions that we have placed around toileting and a lot of shame that we've placed around toileting in our culture. So when I lived in the Solomon Islands, everyone went out together in the morning, like pooing was this real social event. Everyone went out to poo in the current, right? out in the ocean and so you just saw everyone out there hanging out doing their poo it wasn't gross there was no shame around it it was just a normal thing that everyone did we have really in our culture brought a lot of shame around how our bodies work and then that deeply impacts how they work too because um the pelvic floor we really now understand and we've had this research from like back in 2003 that the pelvic floor works as part of the defense mechanisms so when we're scared it clenches and in order to let our babies and our poo and our wee out it needs to open and so if we're at work and we need to do a poo and someone walks in and we're scared all of that really impacts it as well and I just I feel like the poor pelvic floor gets just unnecessary blamed when actually what's happening in our intrathoracic pressure which is the pressure from the diaphragm up so around the rib cage right what's happening in our intra-abdominal pressure and then it's all the other things like where's our body sitting is it more in a sympathetically dominated state because we know that digestion is not going to occur as easily if we are sympathetically dominated and so if we're in that state we're in that sympathetic domination which is you know I always say if you if your mind's tense your muscles are tense right it's that complete needing to defend all the time so I feel like we really need to look at this as a really holistic issue like a lot of IBS symptoms and and gut issues we're now starting to really understand there's huge emotional factors in that yes there's definitely diet yes there's definitely the sedentary ways of our our day-to-day like we don't move as much and then that affects alignment right so our posture is terrible our postural alignment for majority of us is out of whack and so therefore if the way our body is put together is out of whack it's going to have a massive flow and effect to how the body functions Mm. and and i think so you've definitely taken us to our next the exact direction that i want to go in because Well, let's talk about what we can do to prevent them and how to treat them. So so you might be here and you've got them. You're like, oh, my gosh, can I recover? I'd just like to say you can actually completely recover from hemorrhoids. They're not like, boom, got a hemorrhoid, that's it, forever I've got a hemorrhoid. They're 100% curable, but they're very much linked to toileting habits. So even though, yes, progesterone itself is not the cause, pregnancy itself is not the cause, Diet itself is not the cause. You know, pelvic floor itself is not the cause. If you compound all the factors and you're also not moving and you're prone to constipation and then you're pregnant, then you could put yourself sort of in a a more risky situation of getting a hemorrhoid. This is where I just want to send a lot of love to people because this is where it can be like, oh, this is overwhelming. There's too many factors. How do I deal with this? I'm not going to, right? And especially on when you put all of this on top of pregnancy and postpartum when it's already feeling for most people overwhelming and at capacity it can feel big 
I just want to say you don't have to conquer it all, right? It might be just pick something that lands for you. Just pick one. And then that one thing has a beautiful um, or, you know, creates a beautiful little change that you start to notice and then you can add, you've got more capacity then to add the next thing in. Please don't feel like you have to tackle it all at once, right? We're not building the whole puzzle today. Just putting a piece in, then the next piece, then the next piece. Because I, I get it, right? I've had issues like prolapse and anal fissures, I've pelvic girdle pain, and it can feel very much like... I can't do it all. You don't have to do it all. Just one small change then allows little benefits to be seen. And the small wins here, we have to celebrate them. We have to hold on to them. It might be like poo soft, epic, yay for soft poos. And then it's like, okay, I didn't, you know, that didn't hurt to go to the toilet that day. Let's just bring ourselves into the present moment and go, okay, what is one small thing I can do today? that I might be able to keep doing every day for the next couple of weeks. And then there might be a little bit more capacity and you bring in another thing. Or everything might turn horrendously awful because, like, the kids get sick and, you know, your partner's away and then everything goes out the window. You can always bring it back. Just start piece by piece by piece. Just a lot of love because I know there's so much. Life is very full. And so it's about just tackling it. As my mother-in-law would say, inch by inch, life's a cinch, yard by yard, too damn hard. That <laughs> saying got me through every marathon and birth I've ever done. Inch by inch, life's a cinch, yard by yard, too damn hard. It's my favourite, favourite saying. Well, Thank I've you. got something similar. Um, so basically when you're coming up to something hard, and this is what I tell my kids, when you're coming up to something hard and you say, well, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? If you look at this elephant and someone says you've got to eat it, like, how am I going to eat that elephant? It's one bite at a time. Before you know it, elephant. So it's, that's not a very vegan-friendly option. Well, we're not vegan. <laughs> we're not vegan. But I thought you were. No, my son's vegetarian. But anyway, okay. Also, fun story is that um, actually hemorrhoids don't take as long to heal as people think. There's, really? Yeah. So there was a research paper that I looked at, and I'll talk to you about it. Uh, within 10 days, the the intervention group had almost complete recovery with this technique. I don't know if I believe it, but I will I'll share the study with you. So, but first point is, is that prevention is better than a cure. If you can prevent getting constipated, because constipation and hemorrhoids often go hand in hand. Whatever the background is that call, has caused that constipation, whether it was tall, like poor toileting habits, I was about to say tall toileting habits, poor toileting habits. And so particularly sitting on the toilet, reading or looking at your phone, it puts undue pressure on your anus and vessels and it can exacerbate or cause the problem. So you have to consciously poo. And so... Yes. Yeah, because if, you, if you're sitting on the toilet for 20 minutes with your bum cheeks parted and your pelvic floor completely relaxed thinking that you're trying to do a poo, that state is too much pressure on your anus for that amount of time. So don't use the toilet to take a holiday from your family and tap out with your phone because you could actually give yourself a hemorrhoid even if you're not constipated. People are throwing tomatoes at you right now. I know. Like, they're like, I'm sorry. 
Or they're like, no, I'm taking this podcast home and making my partner listen to this exact snippet. But it's become this culturally acceptable thing that we take our phone into the toilet. And when I made, I made a whole reel on how to poo properly, right? And the first step was put your phone down. You need a, you need effective presence in your body. It's about respecting our body. What you're trying to do in that moment is disassociate and disconnect. And we have brought our phones into so many points in our life where our body actually needs connection. It's being able to reconnect with ourselves and connection to self. And so your pooing deserves your respect or your body when it's pooing deserves your respect and connection. So connected pooing time. We want connected pooing time. So no phones, no books, nothing but just being in your body. Um, yeah. If you're at capacity and you need to tap out and, you know, it doesn't feel good for most of us to go and have a disconnected, horrible poo that ends up in hemorrhoids. So can we bring some connection back to our body when it's working hard for us? So honoring your bowel movements is super important. Like there's often times where we can't just honor what our body is telling us. Um, but if we don't, of- I guess we've got to get into that, the mindset that we shouldn't habitually not do what our body is telling us so if it occurs from time to time that's one thing but if we're habitually not paying attention and habitually spending 20 minutes on the toilet looking at our phones then you you put yourself in a situation that's not ideal for your for your anus if you need if you need some time out there are much better places to reconnect with yourself and and help your nervous system than the toilet so 15 and this is about self-care because this has become socially acceptable right it's okay to spend 20 minutes in the toilet what you're trying to say there is i feel tapped out and i need some time and then i get this like lots of people are listening to this have little kids and it's hard to do what other ways can you bring in some effective self-care to help you be more in balance to help you then connect with your body that's what this that's the underlying yeah. Parent. But this is our also the imprints we're giving to our children too, because they watch us. They might not have screen time, but they're watching you take your phone into the toilet. So, and then that becomes normal behavior for them. So, what have like what messages do we want to pass on to our children around their bodies and connecting with their bodies? So can we just leave poo time for poo time? Yes. And that will help. That's the first thing you can do to prevent hemorrhoids but also help them recover so if you're not repetitively aggravating them by sitting on the toilet for 20 minutes looking at your phone and having you know that can aggravate hemorrhoids or cause them and so anything you can do to reduce the aggravation and sort of re-injury that you're going to give is healing time so that's one thing and that is a very small change that you could make almost without having to change anything else. You could already do that because you're already pooing. The other thing is trying to prevent getting constipated. So this means in a very basic level, increasing fiber and fluid. So I want to talk about that though, because I feel like that's the advice that everybody gets. Increase your fiber, increase your fluid. What the hell does that even mean? So there was actually a randomized control study done in 2022. The paper said it's the first one that's ever been done on actually counseling women, very specific counseling on what they could do, what they could change in their week to 
incidentally increase fiber and fluids in the interest of preventing constipation. And then they looked at the impact that that had on hemorrhoids. So they had a control group. They did a statistical check on how many people they needed to have in this study for it to be powered effectively to know if this intervention would work. They ended up having 130 women in each group. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but in incidences where you're just looking at one simple thing, like who got hemorrhoids, this study, 130 was deemed to be powerful enough to make a conclusion. Actually, the exact recommendations that they gave the women, there's a they gave a dot a point, like a dot point list. I've popped it in there in the resource list if you're on the mailing list. Uh, and so if you want to have a look at that, you just have to join the mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com for the podcast, and then you'll get all the resources for this episode. So what they did, 2022, I was really surprised to find out that this is the first time this has even been attempted to be researched. So they get 130 women and just said, you just do whatever you're doing in this pregnancy. You're the control group. The other 130 women got a 30-minute session with somebody to educate them. And they were advised to eat at regular time intervals. So, you know, pick a breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack times through your day so that your digestive system is primed to know what's coming and it's ready and prepared at the times that food is coming. Consume at least 1.5 litres of fluid. Avoid foods that cause them to be constipated. So foods that cause you to be constipated are different for everyone. So particularly people who maybe um, are allergic to some foods or sensitive to some foods, some foods will constipate them. So they just basically said, avoid foods that you know will constipate you. Consume a tablespoon of bran, or you could possibly swap this out for psyllium, uh, and two to five prunes daily. Consume around 300 grams of fruits, 500 grams of vegetables, 30 grams of nuts a day. Exercise and or walk daily for 30 to 60 minutes. And they were asked to do this three to five times per week. Uh, They also gave very specific recommendations for pooing. So here's how you poo in this study. Uh, It said, don't ignore the urge to defecate, to poo. Spend less than three minutes on the commode. So this is what we're talking about, not sitting there with your your bum all, you know, hanging out for 20 minutes while you're looking at your phone. Attempt to do a poo 30 to 40 minutes after eating and in the mornings. uh, So there was a bit more education that they gave women and the complete uh, dot point list is in the resource folder. So the researchers said that our study is the first randomized control trial to prove that a counseling intervention aimed to modify dietary and behavioral habits can significantly reduce the rate of hemorrhoids. All of the analysis showed that the intervention managed to decrease the hemorrhoid rate by about half. So as I said, 130 women in each group. The control group, uh, 53 women got hemorrhoids in pregnancy compared to only 20 in the intervention group. So if we start multiplying this by the almost 300,000 women in Australia who were pregnant each year, we could half the hemorrhoid rate (laughs) 
um, with some, and you know, these aren't any real fancy recommendations. These are accessible recommendations. You can find all these things in a shop. Uh, you know, it's there was no medication involved. It was it purely some lifestyle adaptations. And for those who already have hemorrhoids, you can still heal and reduce them with that advice. B, did you have anything else to add to lifestyle stuff? Um, the I, I want to talk about the pooing properly bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought also we could add some of the things. So there's a few things that I have really loved. So you mentioned psyllium. Um, but little additions to food, especially um, flax seeds, like whole flax seeds, adding them to porridge, you know, just sprinkling them on like some avocado and eating them was a game changer for me. Um, eating honey has a beautiful little, has like a laxative effect. So just some really raw, beautiful honey. So I used to have postpartum, you know, um, porridge with all the good stuff on top of it just to really help pose. But knowing, just really trusting that you do know yourself. And if you don't, maybe just having some little um, time where you actually go, okay, I've noticed when I eat this, my poos are harder. Like actually start looking at your poos. I saw an Instagram reel recently that said our poos are meant to be as long as our forearm. As thick um, and as long as your forearm. Yeah, I thought we learned, when I was a naturopath too, like these big bulky stools is what we're aiming for. And so many people have these pitifully sized poos. Becoming aware of what helps you um, to have those soft poos. But yeah, what we're aiming for is as thick and as long as your forearm. Yeah, and it's easier, surprisingly, to push out a big soft poo than a small hard one you know in oh, totally yeah yeah our poos aren't meant to be yeah pellets or small they're actually meant to be long and thick and juicy and this um, is the bulky the idea behind the fiber you can't just increase fiber and not fluid because it's it you'll just create harder poos if you add fiber but you're perpetually dehydrated then your poos will actually just get harder and so the psyllium actually creates this really mucousy kind of film around the psylliums um, and actually holds on to fluid and keeps it in your poo, which is what bulks them out. And chia seeds can do the same. So mm. they have to be soaked, right? Well, here's a little hack. Like if you don't want to add anything more to your day in order to fix your hemorrhoids or to bulk, you know, to add anything, if you've got a water bottle and you add a few teaspoons of chia seeds to it, as you're drinking it through the day, you'll just drink those chia seeds down with the water and they're not, and you'll notice them through the day. They get this like hue of like yeah. um, gel around them. And yeah. so, you know, it's a real easy hack. Like don't take your phone into the toilet, throw some chia seeds into your water. You know, if we're doing these things already, you can measure out your water. So if you've got a 1.5 or 2 litre water bottle and you look at that and you go, right, I've got to drink all of that today. It's got my chia seeds in it. I'm not taking my phone to the toilet and change the times you eat. You might not need to change anything else and actually create a huge change in in your bowel habits and therefore how, you know in your constipation and therefore in your hemorrhoid situation. I feel like this is going to be the most life-changing podcast we do. I feel like everyone after today, like, is just going to add a little bit of chia seeds and just, yeah, put the phone. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is they had poo techniques in the study and I don't know what they did. 
Mm. Um, but I teach the Ucha technique. So it's in my program. It's yes. on um, on Instagram and you can just look up how to have the best poo of your life. Um, but the idea is to assume correct poo posture because I'm a huge advocate for using a stool for your stool. So using the squatty potty. And if you've never looked at the squatty potty um, video on YouTube, it's a unicorn doing a poo. It's a great one to explain correct poo posture to children. And this is something I notice massively in children is that they do really well when they poo in a nappy, they do really well pooing on a potty. And then when they move up to a toilet, we often see constipation come in. And I think what is often happening for children is they're not in that correct posture anymore. And the whole idea with is that you want to assume a squat position on the toilet. So because that it is how our body is meant to. We're meant to poo in a squat. So the whole idea is that knees are higher than hips and feet flat on something. Um, what I want to say here is this isn't going to work for everyone. And the reason for this is our, our own individual alignment. And I find people with prolapse often don't do as well pooing in a squat. So again, this is like anything the foods that make you constipated are going to be different from others. The posture that you need to poo in is going to be different for you than it is for others. So it's about working out what feels good for you. There's a basically, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, don't keep persisting at it yet um, because it's often there's an alignment issue and it's about really trying to help your alignment as well, like really ensuring the heels are down on the ground because it has a, that flow on effect, the pelvic floor, but also... Um, really helps to open what another thing I've really worked on is when we think about that pelvic outlet opening the knees in and calves out that can sometimes help people as well so actually rather than having those knees straight out to the side bringing them more in closer to the body can really support that pelvic floor to to lengthen a little bit too so it really is about as always I say with core and floor doing you and figuring out what feels right for you um but if yeah pooing if you're like nah i tried the pooing in a um, supported squat it didn't work for me there's probably something going on and the ulcha technique is basically noises we make with our mouth and a flow a contraction through the diaphragm to passively push our poo out so if you don't know what passively pushing means it means your body just actually pushes something out whether it's a baby or a poo um rather than you holding your breath straining forcing it out and that is what we want so I don't use it for every poo um I just use it when I know I'm taking over and trying to strain but we can actually just passively poo every poo out as opposed to holding our breath trying to increase that pressure and strain and force out when we really think about hemorrhoids we want to avoid as much strain and force as possible so passively pooing is massive um but a lot of people do moo to poo you're not doing the uh, passive pushing with that. You're just relaxing the anus. So that can still work really well for people. But what I really am passionate about is that passive pushing uh, because your body knows how to do it. It knows how to actually work so it can push the poo out. It doesn't want to strain. It's like all the things we kind of just take over. We don't trust the body. We don't believe in it. We take over and force it to do things. This is really about connecting with ourselves again and letting the body work how it's been biologically designed to. Yeah, and I guess the idea behind that is to to not keep putting that downward pressure, which is going to give you the potential blowout situation. Well, and there's various other strategies that we can use for symptomatic relief. So I'm going to run you through a few 
things that will offer symptomatic relief. But in the very short term, if your hemorrhoids are incredibly painful, it is okay to use a hemorrhoid cream, but just know that it's designed for symptomatic relief and not actual treatment. So you're not doing anything to improve your hemorrhoids by using these creams. You're you're just making things a lot more comfortable for yourself in the meantime while you're healing. And often they'll have an anti-inflammatory medication in it and a local anesthetic cream. So it sort of numbs the area and reduces swelling, but it doesn't address the root cause. So go ahead, you can use those. The majority of them are safe in pregnancy and postpartum unless you have a tear or anything like that. Just be super careful if the wound is open. But yes, just know that's not the first and last step. That's just like, that'll just help you feel better. Now, we made reference to B's little Instagram reel at the beginning of the episode. And in that reel, B recommended using Manuka honey on hemorrhoids and absolutely totally admits that it's completely anecdotal, but that women have reported that applying Manuka honey to their hemorrhoids has created an improvement. Manuka honey is used medically for wound healing and it's antibacterial and it's got heaps of amazing healing properties. So I'm not surprised that applying that to your anus would have a beneficial effect. It doesn't have to be Manuka either. It can just be raw, like really good raw honey. But Manuka is amazing if you can get your hands on it. It's just expensive. Um, but yeah, funny story. We had this guy come and help us renovate our my new office. And he was like, oh, I get this incredible Manuka honey from New Zealand from a friend. I'm going to bring you some. And my husband was like, oh, it's really epic for hemorrhoids. <laughs> oh comes out and tells this guy yeah and he was like oh is it he's like yeah it's great Mr. Coral doing his beautiful work as he does I'm happy with the anecdotal evidence over the last 15 years to fully recommend it and I don't think it would be harmful so you know even if it doesn't work you've not lost anything um you've got a just really sweet anus now sweet anus look at that and a little bit of cash that you splashed on the honey uh, so witch's hazel is another, so witch's hazel is a herb. Um, it's got astringent activity and you can buy it actually in creams or liquid. But again, it's probably more likely to offer you symptomatic relief rather than a full 100% cure. So it can be added to your regime, but I wouldn't recommend it as the only thing. Now, let me tell you about this study because This study declared that 100% of people who use their strategy recovered. And that's what made me a little bit mm, uncertain. I was like, I don't think anything could ever offer 100%. But it piqued my interest because it's super easy to do. Um, You could probably do it today if you're at your home because everybody has the ingredients. So this is the 2018 study from Saudi Arabia. And so this was a study, they had 495 pregnant women who had been diagnosed with hemorrhoids. And this was the intervention that they applied to them, that they wanted to see if this worked. So they only did this with half of them. So 284 women tried this intervention. It was three times a day, you add 20 grams of salt to a SIDS bath. So you're basically going to soak your bot bot in warm, salty water three times a day for, what did it say? I think 20 minutes, but hang on, I'll read that as it comes. 
So that was the first group. They did the SIDS bath, 20 grams of just salt, sea salt, whatever salt you want to use. The second group had, they put cream on twice a day. Uh, so they, were, they compared salty bath, salty bum baths to topical cream twice a day for the other half of the patients. But, and this was where my beef came in, both of the protocols included what they call supportive treatments of uh, glycerin suppositories in the rectum 20 minutes before doing a poo as a lubricant. So that the, I guess that was kind of a way of not re-injuring the hemorrhoid and maybe facilitating a bit of a healing environment. But everybody was encouraged to put these glycerin suppositories in 20 minutes before doing a poo as a lubricant. And then also they added Metamucil, which is a bulking fiber mix, um, one sachet a day. And they and they told them all to take fiber. So that was the Metamucil once daily after breakfast to prevent constipation. Then they had these suppositories. Then they offered one group the SIDS bath and the other group just the cream, which we've just spoken about. The cream is just for symptomatic relief. It's not theoretically supposed to be for healing. So the results say that complete healing was achieved in all patients, 100% of the patients in the SIDS bath group, compared to only 84.8% in the cream group. So, so I think they've mixed a few strategies here. So it's hard to see which one exactly worked. Like obviously there was some healing in the cream group because they also had lubricant suppositories and bulking agents to prevent constipation. So I guess in some way what they're saying is 84% of them had a level of healing with just that treatment plus the cream. Uh, But the SIDS bath was found to represent a statistically significant difference in achieving complete healing for hemorrhoids in Saudi Arabian females compared to the anorectal cream. So, you know, but that's cool, partly because we all have salt. So this is what they found. So let's look at this. The, the time for pain to completely subside in the SIDS bath group was 3.5 days compared to four days in the other group, in the cream group. Uh, perianal bleeding completely stopped in the SIDS bath group at four days compared to the cream group at five days. Uh, the time for the perianal mass to completely disappear in the SIDS bath group was 7.5 days compared to nine days in the cream group. The average time for itching to completely resolve in the SIDS bath group was nine days. And the other group, the cream group, took 11.5 days. The average time for the burning sensation to completely fade in the SIDS bath group was 6.5 days compared to 8.5 days in the cream group. And, yeah, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is is that with, with quoting all of those day ranges is that you could actually make a big difference to yourself in a short period of time, apparently, using this SIDS bath intervention as well as increasing fiber and I mean apparently putting a lubricant suppository in your bot bot but I mean even if you didn't do that apparently this research is saying it would 
be of some benefit. And the SIDS bath, here we go, it was warm water for 10 minutes, two to three times a day. Uh, yeah, was was how they did it. And okay. Salt water. Yeah. I wouldn't put your bum in salt after having a baby. That would not be advised. But I'm mm. just simply reporting the research. And for women mm. who are at their wit's end with hemorrhoids, might be willing to soak their bum in yeah. a salt bath. And if the body's functioning at its best, it's not going to get something like hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids are just that beautiful little message of, hey, something's not right here. We need to bring the body back into alignment. So, yeah, that postpartum really preventing hard poos in that time is key. And the other thing I want to throw in here is avoiding coach pushing, right? Avoiding yes. avoiding coach pushing and strain because that is so often where I see people get hemorrhoids. Yeah, so if you go to the pushing out your baby episode, You'll see all the details, what B is talking about with the coach pushing and how to push out your baby in a more gentle way to hopefully yeah. prevent Avoid. Yeah. things like this. Yeah, I really, yeah. So anything where we're straining through that area, even power wean and power farting, which is where we strain those farts out, Fart, our farts should, you know, be minimal and and soft, just like our poos. We shouldn't have to force them out. So that is your beautiful body's way of saying if we need to strain, something's not right. And just really sending a lot of love to people that have had to coach push because it's very common still. And it's um, definitely, if you have an epidural, that's that's going to be the way you're pushing your baby out. So being prepared for hemorrhoid recovery as part of that. Yes. And things like, so postnatally, if you've aggravated your hemorrhoids during birth or you've gotten one during birth, even just uh, applying an ice pack, can be a nice way to get them to recede, but also ease the symptoms at first and the swelling. And don't be too hard on yourself. If you've gotten a hemorrhoid for the very first time during birth, all of this stuff can help you with recovery and healing. And you might never feel those again. It's just an, a circumstantial hemorrhoid. You don't have to just be early postpartum. Like if you've got hemorrhoids, support yourself, do some nourishing things. The other thing I want to add in there is elevating the hips and the legs. So just taking some pressure and weight off. We often just elevate the hips on some pillows, stick the legs up on a wall with an ice pack there. And just lying flat. So postpartum, some women, you know, you're resting, but you're sitting up and holding your baby and you're sitting on your bum. But if you've got the opportunity, any opportunity you can in your postpartum, actually lie flat and allow, you know, things to resettle back into your intra-abdominal cavity. And then, yes, that's our advice for today, guys, I think. All right. Well, that is our episode today on hemorrhoids in pregnancy and postpartum. And we will see you in the next episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Awesome. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, Bee, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs>